but we are continuing to go through First Peter this morning. We're going to be in chapter 2, um, verses 9 and 10, if you want to turn there. Um, <clears throat> that's where we're going to be. And so one of the things that kind of in this situation where things aren't going how we're used to going or we're working from home and people have lost jobs and lost their routines and all of those things, I think a lot of people are asking the question, right, who am I? Who am I supposed to be? Because often we determine who we are by what we do. And so when we're not doing as many things, we sometimes wonder, well, what's my real purpose? What am I supposed to be doing? Right? And so how do we respond in a time like this where we've lost that a little bit? Right? Maybe your career isn't going to go the way you thought it was going to go, or the career you wanted to go in now doesn't exist um, because it's shut down for a while. Or maybe in your retirement you had plans and now those are thrown off because you're not sure where you can go or what you can do and all of these other things. Or maybe your purpose is gone. And so what do we do? Who are we supposed to, to be? Peter is speaking to that this morning and he's going to answer the question of who we are, what we're supposed to do, and even why we do it. And so let's read this together. First um, Peter 2 verses 9 and 10. I promise I tried to do more verses this morning, but I I just couldn't, because I promised I'd do a little shorter sermon than I usually do when we're here. But anyway, 9 and 10. It says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so we're going to work our ways, our way through these verses this morning. And the first thing I want you to see is that we can have hope in who we are, right? Understanding who we are is crucial to what we do. Because for us in our culture, right, who we are, when people ask who we are, tell us something about yourselves, we answer with like things that we do. We answer with our job and our roles and our family. And so for me, Right? I'm a pastor, and so I do pastor things. I preach sermons and prepare for them and minister to people and pray with people and disciple people and those kind of things. But most of us aren't, well, in this room, I'm the only one right now. Um, and so you might be an architect or an accountant, or you might be retired, or you might be a husband or a wife or a grandparent or a parent. And so when you say, that's who I am, then you do things in line with that role. So I'm a grandparent, so I spoil my kids and give them candy when they're not supposed to have it, and then I send them home at the end of the day and hope the parents can deal with it, right? That's what you do as grandparents. And so we use those things <clears throat> to identify who we are, and then we live in accordance with that. And so for believers in Christ, understanding who we are is crucial to understand what we're supposed to do. Because if we understand our identity in Christ, then that influences how we would live that out. And so I would say even that if you find yourself having trouble in a specific area of your spiritual life, like I can't grow in this area or I feel stuck here, it's probably because you don't understand or don't fully believe something about your identity in Christ. And so that's why you're stuck, because if you believed it, you would be able to live that out or break through that. And so let's take a look at what Peter calls us because he gives us this long list. And so we're going to go through them one by one pretty quickly. And as we go through, what we're actually going to see are echoes of the Old Testament, echoes of Israel in this, <clears throat> and what God intended for 
Israel and how that connects to us. Now convinced it's the building that makes me do that because I didn't do that when we weren't here. Either that or you guys make me nervous and you make me cough. It's one or the other. Right? But he gives us this list. Right? You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And so first he says, we are chosen. And so the echo from Israel comes from Deuteronomy chapter 7. It says this, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath he swore to your fathers. And so those verses tell us that Israel was chosen for one reason, right? That God loved them. That's why they were chosen. It wasn't because they were bigger or greater or better than anybody else. It actually says the opposite of that, right? You were the fewest people, almost weak, right? And I chose you not because of who you were or what you did, but because I loved you. And the same is true for us, right? That's why God chooses us, not because we're great or intelligent or we grew up in a family that always took us to church or we've been to church for 60 years or we've memorized a ton of scripture. No, God chooses us to be in his family because he loves us, right? That's why he did. And so they were chosen by God. They were not privileged or special on their own. And so he talks about being a chosen race, right? That we are a race together. So this is another thing just to remember, especially in this time where things are a little crazy when you use the word race out there, that we are all together in God's family and that we are all image bearers of Christ. And so I didn't think I was going to say anything, but here we go. So (laughs) there's a lot of stuff happening, a lot of stuff in the news and a lot of stuff being crazy. I think for the most part, almost everybody agrees that what happened to George Floyd was wrong. And almost everybody agrees that looting and rioting is not the answer, right? So everybody, I think, is somewhere in the middle of that. And so one of the things that I noticed just watching what was happening is in the places where the police marched with the protesters, they had hardly any issues. There was hardly any looting, hardly any rioting, and where it was, it was shut down very quickly. It was in the places where there was confrontation. And it made me sort of realize that what people want to be, and we all want this, is to be heard, right? They just want to be heard, that what their experience is is different than most of us. And so once you hear them and listen to them and show, we hear what you're saying, then it changes the whole conversation. And so I think that's the place where all of us can grow and all of us can do better, is just to listen to the stories and the experiences of those who are different than us. Um, And so that gets us through because we all are image bearers of Christ. We've been talking about that in the doctrine of creation, that we're all in this together. We're all image bearers, regardless of where you came. So that was my two cents. Sorry, just kind of threw that in there. Um, So we are chosen, right? But next, we are priests. And here's the echo from Israel. In Exodus chapter 19, it says this, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. 
for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you shall speak to the people of Israel. This is God talking to Moses, said this is what you should tell him. And so God's purpose for Israel was that they would be a nation of priests who would stand between God and the rest of humanity, representing the people before God. We know, because we're way ahead of them in history, that they messed up over and over and over again, right? With the golden calf in Exodus and worshiping other gods throughout their history, they would turn away again and again and again. But now, what he's saying is, we are the priests. We stand before God, and we can go directly to him, right? We are the intermediaries. We don't have to go through anybody else, and we can do that because of Christ, Right, because he was our intermediary on our behalf. And so because of that, we can go directly to God. And so we function as priests in the way that we worship, that we intercede for others, and the way that we minister to others. <clears throat> Next he says we are holy, right? a holy nation. And so holy means right, we are set apart for God's purposes. So when he talks about this holy nation, he's not talking about where we're from or where we were born or where our citizenship is. He's talking about a specific nation, a new nation, a nation of God's people that doesn't fit inside any other nation. So in this holy nation of believers, we have members who are American, who are Mexican, who are Canadian, who are European, who are Asian, who are African. We're all in the same nation together. And it's a worldwide thing of believers in Christ who are all together in this. We are God's people together all over the world. And so as we kind of saw some of these echoes, um, I thought it would be helpful just to kind of run through really quickly kind of what happened with Israel and connect it to where we are now. And so this is, this is actually what you would call redemptive history. This is God's plan for salvation from the beginning. And so um, we're just going to go through this. I think it'll be helpful because we saw in, in the beginning of Scripture, right, that God redeemed Israel at the Exodus. And he adopted them as a nation at Mount Sinai when he gave them the Ten Commandments, gave them all of this list of rules and things that they were supposed to do to identify themselves as the people of God. And so God was to dwell among the Israelites and be, they were to be his people. And we see that in the tabernacle. Right? They built the tabernacle so that they could go and commune with God in this specific place and then later in the temple that God would be there in his presence and so God wanted Israel to be a light to the nations, holding kind of the light of revelation up for all to see. Um, an example for us would be like the Statue of Liberty, right? It's a symbol of our freedom. When we see the Statue of Liberty going into New York, it's a sign for the freedom that you have here. So the tabernacle and the temple are the same things for Israel. It's a sign of God's presence there. And so What's interesting is he didn't tell the Israelites to take the light to other nations, right? He wanted them to stay together as a people and be, the phrase you guys would know is city on a hill, on a hill right? A beacon of light that shows them what they're supposed to do. And so he would attract others to himself, and we see that some in the Old Testament, but like we just said a minute ago, Israel failed again and again. They preferred to be a nation like other nations. And they said this on several occasions, right? We just want to be like everybody else. Just give us a king like everybody else. We just want to be like everybody else. And so 
as, as their continued failing has eventually resulted in their exile, that they were sent out to other places because of what they did. And after that, God sent another light into the world to reveal himself. He sent Jesus, his son, to come and live among us and show us what God truly looked like, right? To show us his character, his principles, his priorities. And this was a shift from what he had done before because instead of creating a place that was to demonstrate that, that people had to go and see, he sent Jesus to us to tell us. And so it became a shift from a go and see to a, to a come and see to a go and tell, right? A shift in the way that God was ministering to us. So this mission of God became a missionary endeavor, after Jesus completed his mission of salvation by dying on the cross in our place for our sins and rising from the dead, he instituted the church to be made of those who believed and followed him. And so now God has made the church the bearer of his light to reveal himself to the world. But he didn't set up the church to be a city on a hill, a place where everybody goes and they isolate themselves from everybody else and they say, this is what it looks like to follow God. No, he sent us to be missionaries to the ends of the earth, right? Just as we see Jesus being sent to us, we are sent out to others. God wanted Israel to stay in her land, in the promised land that he gave them. But he wants us to go and be sent out into all the world. So also in the church, God doesn't just dwell with us in a general sense. Right? In, like we say, God is here, or we are in his presence here, which is somewhat true, but it's different than how it was in the Old Testament. Right now, he, we believe he resides in every individual Christian. The Spirit is inside of us, empowering us, giving us strength so that we can live. <clears throat> and this isn't actually an individual endeavor either. We don't just do this on our own, which as good Americans we sometimes struggle with because we're told from when we're little, you do things on your own. We're very individualistic. But all of these terms, right? Holy chosen race, holy priesthood, kingdom of priests, they're all a corporate group. Not just one person doing this. And so it's a community working together, living together, proclaiming the good news together. And so that's Peter's goal here, is to get them to understand that we are a group of people following Christ and living according to his purposes. We are those things. We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people that belong to him, and we live that in light of who we are. So he shows us who we are so that we know how to live. And so as he does that, say, okay, this is who I am. I'm these things, chosen race, holy nation, people. What does that mean that I do? And he gives that to us in the next verse. It says, you are all of these things that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So through that, we can see that we can have hope in what we do. Right? In light of who we are, in light of what we're supposed to be as a church, as believers, this is what we do. This is a simple way to summarize everything that we're called to do. And it's this, to proclaim the excellencies or the greatness or the mercy or the grace of God to others. That summarizes the whole thing. That's what he's calling us to do. <clears throat> right? You are these things. 
So proclaim who God is. This is your purpose as a people, as a church, as individuals, right? To go and tell people the greatness of God and how once you were not in his family, but now you are and what he's done in your life and his grace and his mercy. It's our call to proclaim the good news, right? The good news of what Jesus did. That's what he's asking us to do, to share it and to apply it and to live in it with others. And I, I was going to give you a list of like how this looked in different areas of your life, but I think everybody has some extra time these days, so I'm going to give you the question, and then you guys can come up with the list, right? But how do we do this? How do we proclaim the excellencies of Christ in different areas of our life? How do you do that in your marriage? How do you do that at work? What does it look like to proclaim the gospel, the good news, in those areas, right? To apply things like, we're all sinners, we're all broken, we all need help. I'm going to give you a couple of examples just to help you out. Right? So that means when your coworkers make mistakes and make you angry and make you frustrated, duh, we're all sinners in need of grace. Right? And so they need grace. They need compassion. They need mercy. That's how you proclaim God's excellencies to them, is treating them the way God treated you. Right? Or if your kids, oh man, there's only two in here. My own kids. Right? Oh, and Jojo, sorry. She's a big kid, so I forget about her sometimes, right? Is to treat your parents with grace and understanding when they tell you something to do that you don't like, right? That's proclaiming the excellencies of God. Yes, West is here, but he's not ready for this kind of stuff yet. Um, yes, people in the, you can't see this, but people in the back are like pointing to all the kids who are here. <laughs> so, yeah, so it's things like that of how do we proclaim that and how do we show grace and mercy and say, man, I used to be like that, but now I'm like this, and this is what happened. This is the difference. And to say that we're all the same, we're all image bearers of Christ. We all are in this together, right? Which I think would be a thing that we could all talk about right now because people are talking about that anyway. So those are some things. But think about how can you proclaim the excellencies of Christ in all areas of your life? And next, because of who we are and what we do, Peter even tells us why we do it, right? Because he has called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light, right? Once we were not a people, but now we are God's people. Once we had not received mercy, but now we have mercy. And so when he talks about coming out of darkness into marvelous light, um, one of the examples I, I came across this week was, was I think it was, it was an excellent example. And so he talked about how the, the, the best picture of this is when Jesus died on the cross and they put him in the tomb. And he was in the tomb that was complete darkness. Right? It was sealed. There was nothing going on in there. And it was a dark time because Jesus was dead. And I'm sure his disciples and his followers were feeling like it was a dark time as well because they thought they were following this guy who was going to be the Messiah, but now he's dead. And it felt dark and bleak like nothing was going to happen. But then the stone is rolled away and Jesus is raised from the dead and he comes out into the light, right? Bursting forth and it changed everything, right? Jesus going from darkness to light changed everything. And the same was true for us, right? When we were dead in our sins and our trespasses, it was dark. It was bleak, but he chose us and moved us into light, right? And it changed 
everything. It changed everything about us. It gave us new priorities, new things to do, new ways to live. And so when Jesus changes us, when Jesus saves us, it's from death to life, right? From light to dark. A lot of times people think it's just to make nice people be a little nicer, right? I was already a nice person and then I became a Christian, so now I'm just a little nicer. No, you were dead and now you're alive. You may be nicer because of that, but it's a complete change in who you are, a complete change in purpose. And so that's why we proclaim his greatness. That's why we proclaim his great, because we were dead and now we're alive. We were in the dark and now we're in the light. And then he gives us this line, which is somewhat understandable, but there's actually an echo in this last line as well where he talks about not once you were not his people, but now you are. Once you had not received mercy, but now you are. This is actually a reference to the book of Hosea. And so in the book of Hosea, God calls Hosea to marry Gomer, who is, for a PG term, she is an unfaithful woman who spends her time with lots of different men. And so he says, I want you to go marry her. And he, has, he does that, and then they have children, and the second child is named Lo-Ruhamah, which means no mercy or no compassion. Because he says, I will no longer have mercy on the nation of Israel. Then they have a, a third child, and they name him Lo-Ami, which means not my people. Because you are not my people, and you are not, I am not your God. And so he was a picture of God's relationship with Israel at that time, that they were not obeying him, they were not following him. So we see in Hosea chapter 2, verse 23, this is what God says. I will plant her for myself in the land, that's Israel, and I will have mercy on no mercy, the name of the child, and I will say to not my people, you are my people, and he shall say, you are my God. And so the picture that they would see is he's taking these children who are named no mercy and not my people and saying, now I will show you mercy, and now you will be my people. And in the, if you look in the original languages, all they do to do that is they drop the low, and so the low is the not, and so it disappears, and so they become just the second half of their name. And so that's what God wants us to see is once we were disobedient, once we were not in the family of God, once we had not experienced the grace and compassion of God, but now you have. Now you have experienced it. Now you are in his family. Now you have experienced his grace and love and compassion. And God had grace and mercy and compassion on them even though they were unfaithful. Even though they turned away, he continued to pursue them and to seek them out and to bring them back to himself and to forgive them. And so God will do the same for us. He will bring us back. He will pursue us through his love, demonstrated through the sacrifice of Jesus. Right? And we see this through the theme of Hosea. We see that in our lives, right? That God chooses us not because of anything we've done, but because he loves us and he redeems us and he changes us. And so because of that, he changes who we are and we can be, because of that, we can be 
holy. We can be priests. We can be witnesses. We can do the things that he's calling us to do. So in this time where you may feel like you don't have a purpose or your purpose is missing or waiting or on hold, right? your real purpose is to pursue God and to proclaim his excellencies, to proclaim his greatness, to proclaim his grace and mercy, both to ourselves and to others. And so as we do that, we proclaim the good news, not just to the people here in our little community, but to all over the world. That's God's call, right? To proclaim his greatness to all the nations. The good news of Jesus Christ that brings us from light to dark, from death to life. Will you guys pray with me? God, we come before you and we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done for us. We thank you that you do send your Son to us, and through that, you opened the door for salvation. You gave us an example of what it looks like to live a life that honors you, that follows you, that seeks you first, and that just like Jesus was in the darkness of the tomb and burst out into the light, the same as true for us, that as when we trust in you, when we follow you, when we believe in you, you take us from darkness of sin and slavery to sin and death, and you bring us to light, and you give us life, and you give us purpose, and you give us meaning, and you give us strength, and you give us courage, and all the things that we need to live the way that you desire for us to live. So God, I pray that we would trust in you, we would look to you, we would proclaim your greatness on a daily basis in everything that we, we, we do. We would proclaim the good news of the gospel. That we were once sinners, we were once broken, we once couldn't get it right. But through you and through Christ, we can be made new. And that happens because you choose us not because of anything we do or any way we can earn that, but because we love you and you love us. And it's your love for us that changes everything. And that we couldn't do anything that we do without you and without Christ in our lives. That it's only through him that we can do what you're calling us to do. In your name I pray. Amen.